Hey guys, it's Ed and I'm coming to you live from quarantine here in Detroit. I hope you all are well. I know I took last week off. I'm very sorry. I was not feeling the greatest and my voice was um, coming all across as a little uh, pubescent. <laughs> and I figured y'all didn't need to hear me go through puberty again. That being said, I am 100% better. It was not COVID-19 or anything like that. It was just seasonal allergies. So, we are bringing you an extra long episode. And just so you guys know, Will is probably the greatest. He waited and waited and waited for me to start recording. Um, and he and he didn't bulk at all when I said I just didn't think that I was going to be able to last week. So, um, there's that. <laughs> um, anyways, like I said, I'm back now. And I wanted to talk about a story that was making the rounds last week that I really wanted to discuss, uh, but couldn't for obvious reasons, for the reasons just stated. And that is, Heath Ledger was actually asked to present at the 2007 Academy Awards. Now, just being asked to present is a huge, huge honor. Um, if, if you've listened to the Share Show, uh, um, Bob Mackie tells Cher as much uh, in the song The Beat Goes On. Um, that song takes us um, through her winning an Academy Award. But she's asked to, after she's passed over for a nomination with Mask, she's kind of bulking. And basically, she said, you know, Bob Mackie's like, hey, that's showbiz. Sometimes. Stuff like that happens. And Sheriff then says, well, no. They actually asked me to present an award. And Bob says, hey, you know, presenting is still a huge honor. Um, the reason why I <laughs> just took you through a tour of that song is because uh, it is a huge honor. And no, not every star is asked to, uh, to present. And I think that when you're asked, most people say yes, because, I mean, you're still getting on the Academy Awards. But Heath Ledger said no. And Jake Gyllenhaal was like, wait, dude, why are you not doing this? Like, you're not endearing yourself to the Academy. And for those of you who aren't aware or who don't know... Uh, after they filmed Brokeback Mountain, Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger became really good friends, if not best buddies. And Heath, Heath looked at him and said, hey, they want to treat Brokeback Mountain as a joke, and it's not a joke. It's not a joke to me. And those are very powerful words. Uh, I know that both Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger have had gay rumors around them since even before they filmed the movie and Brokeback Mountain becoming the classic movie that it has become never really helped uh, it didn't really help their reputation however the fact that Heath took his LGBT Q community ally status so 
seriously that he actually refused to appear on the Academy Awards because he felt they were making fun of something that he was actually very proud of making um, and against the cause that he truly believed in. It's just really heartwarming, and we need more of these stories, um, especially right now um, during during this crisis. Um, you know, I do my best to bring you the salacious stuff, but sometimes I, you know, just like everyone else, I'm like, I'm tired of the news, I'm tired of the bullshit, and frankly, this was just something I needed to read, and I'm so glad that Jake Gyllenhaal shared it. Uh, he, he was doing an interview, I think he had a movie that was supposed to be coming out, and so they, and I don't think a lot of people realize this, they actually do the interviews months and months and months ahead of time, so all these movies that are being canceled, it's not just, it's not just um, the movie industry that's being affected, it's, it's the publication industry as well. Um, but the New York, uh, the New York Daily News still ran the, still ran the interview with Jake Gyllenhaal. And you know what? I'm glad they did. I don't think that they make a lot of wise decisions all the time. But this is one of the ones where I can actually get behind them. And I can actually say, yes. Thank you, Jesus, Yes. You know, um, for those of you who are kind of scratching your head right now, wondering why I don't always agree with the Daily News, um, the Daily News and the po- the New York Post are both owned by Rupert Murdoch, and some other headlines <laughs> really suggest that. Um, I won't go into the politic part because that is Will's area of expertise, <laughs> and we all know that Will does not like me to get near politics. Um, but, you know, even though he has um, passed on, I hope Heath Ledger knows that um, the LGBTQ community, and especially me, really appreciate the uh, efforts he put in to defend our community and to make it so that people felt safer coming out. And Jake Gyllenhaal, thank you so much for not only listening, um, but thank you for sharing that story. And I will be right back. And I'm back. So, uh, you know, I did the whole deep dive about ABC Daytime several weeks ago now. And I promised you a follow-up to some of the stories. Well, here's our first follow-up. Uh, my source was diagnosed with COVID-19. Uh, she's slowly on the mend. We love you and we hope you get better. But um, as she started to slowly come back and, and talk to me, I asked her about the situation over at The View. Because y'all know that Joy Joy Behar had made the decision early on to self-quarantine and, or self-isolate rather. Let me sort of correctly go here. She made the decision to self-isolate and 
was going to <clears throat> be off the show for the foreseeable future. But anyone who's watched the last two weeks knows that she has um, been on almost every day since since she was supposed to have taken her leave. Um, what I've, I'm hearing is she had done a couple of episodes beforehand um, through self-isolation, just the way Whoopi Goldberg had. And she wasn't 100% okay with it, but understood that she may have to, because she signed a contract um, with the show, she needed to uphold her end of the deal. So that's all well finding good. You know, we all get it. But what about Sarah Haynes? Um, here is what I was told. Uh, first of all, an ABC's, uh, an ABC daytime spokeswoman um, sent off a curt. Sarah Haynes was asked to fill in while Joey Behar took some, some much-needed time off. And there is nothing nefarious going on. Any, excuse me, sorry. Any questions about who will be replacing Abby Huntsman is ill-advised, and we are not uh, as ABC Daytime or ABC News and the producers of The View are not willing to speak about it at this time, especially given the COVID nineteen crisis. And then she goes on to advertise the pandemic news magazine that is currently airing in the place of Strayhand, Sarah, and Kiki. Here is what my source is telling me. The decision to pull um, Strayhand, Sarah, and Kiki and replace it with a news magazine is very, very telling. If it was pulling in the ratings the way they say it was, um, and if it was pulling in readings that actually had them happy, they would not have pulled it and replaced it. They don't do that to shows they believe in. Uh, and, it, and in fact, they could have very easily done that with General Hospital or The View or Kelly and Ryan. The fact that they chose um, Kiki, Sarah, and, or I'm sorry, Strahan, Kiki, or Strahan, Sarah, and Kiki, wow, <laughs> is very telling. Sarah Haynes will be staying in the ABC News family, and it's likely that while they may not be negotiating with her right now to make a full-time return to The View, it is almost impossible to believe that she won't be back there. And in fact, it's almost a given that she'll be returning on a semi-permanent basis, given that Megan McCain will be off. Uh, when I asked my source about a possible conservative who could replace who could replace uh, Megan McCain while she's on maternity leave, she laughed and said, well, Anna Navarro is always on hand and will likely be the go-to. But don't think that they're not already looking at other conservative women to take Megan's place. 
they won't, they can't and won't re- quote unquote recast Megan while she's on maternity leave. But make no mistake about it, her contract will not be renewed. They will allow her to say it was her decision and make up some excuse, most likely that she wants to stay at home and be a mommy for now, and that she will be around uh, when with major things coming. But they definitely want a firebrand conservative woman in the seat come the fall, because that's when the show is expected to hit the pinnacle of ratings at least for now. So, here is basically the takeaway. I, I just read my my source's entire statement to you guys. But here's, here's basically what she's saying. Megan's out, Sarah's in, and we're going to be treated to um, basically what Kelly does every time her male co-host leaves. And it's guest co-host roulette to see who's going to be replacing Megan. And they're going to take the time that she's on maternity leave to see who sparks the most headlines and who is able to help goose the ratings. And I know this has been a segment about um, Sarah Haynes slash Megan McCain, but I would be remiss if I didn't talk about Whoopi Goldberg. Uh, Right now... It is still believed that Whoopi will be coming back in, but I'm hearing that executives have played with the idea of reaching out to Rosie O'Donnell in case there's a moment where they need to um, bring in a moderator really fast. They realize that Rosie has never lasted a full season on The View, but they also know that when she returns... It is massive ratings. And given that Rosie um, has made overtures to try to go to the talk um, and allegedly is trying to launch her own roundtable talk show, there is every reason to believe that she is going to try. And um, there's every reason to believe that the producers would want Rosie to come back. So keep that in mind. I'm going to take a break here, and I'll be right back. And I'm back. And since we're all supposed to be at home, well, most of us are supposed to be at home, there are still a lot of states without stay-at-home orders, and you can see the virus literally growing exponentially um, from the, in those states. Um, and the states with stay-at-home orders, you can see um, the number of cases dwindling. So, at least, the, let me rephrase that. The case, um, the number of new cases dwindling. Um, from here in Michigan, we went from 1,500 new cases a day uh, to today's total of 530-some-odd, I believe. I think um, Governor Gershwin Whitmer said 533. Um, that's not to tout Governor Whitmer as anything other than a very good leader. <laughs> All right, I know I'm not supposed to be talking politics, so let let's move on. Um, over the weekend, Lady Gaga put together, and she did this in almost no time. I am so damn proud of her. I am so 
proud to be a little monster. And if you're a Gaga fan or a little monster, now is the time to like shout it from the rooftops and be so fucking proud of our mother monster. Because she put together the One World Together benefit um, to, uh, to help the World Health Organization um, raise, raise some much-needed money. Um, she also helped raise some much-needed money for, um, I forgot, uh, Feed America, I think it was. And there was even a website, act, act.me, that was set up. And before, before this benefit even aired, it raised $50 million for the World Health Organization. Now, I want that number to sink in. Um, while I don't, I'm not privy to the numbers um, of U.S. aid that went to the World Health Organization, I'm, I'm fairly certain that it was, it was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of what was raised by Lady Gaga. <clears throat> and I know some nasty people will say, well, of course she was able to raise it um, quite fast because um, she's a celebrity, she has a lot of goodwill, and we're in the middle of a pandemic and people are willing to donate to charities like that. And all of that might be true. <clears throat> But Tom Hanks actually had COVID-19. Idris Elba actually had the, the virus. And I don't blame them for not raising funds or anything like that. Um, and Tom Hanks actually did appear um, in, the, in the special that aired across three networks, ABC, NBC, and CBS this weekend. Uh, but the reason why I think Lady Gaga gets or should get a lot of credit is because she was able to do this in days. She was able to pull together some of the biggest names in music, uh, the biggest names in the entertainment industry together. She was able to unite three competing broadcast networks to air the special. And she did it all because she wants to help. And again, you know, Tom Hanks was ill. Idris Elba was ill. Both of them appeared um in the in the event. And I'm not saying that they should have done it themselves or anything of that sort. What I'm saying is look at what this woman was able to accomplish. She didn't ask the audience at home to do anything other than what they felt was right. Um, they didn't ask for money. It wasn't a fundraiser. She already raised all the funds that were being sent over to the World Health Organization before the event even aired. She put on a show because she wanted to keep people at home, to entertain them, and, and let them have some hope. And in these times, isn't that what we need? You know, in the Heath Ledger segment, I talked about meeting some positive stories. And this is so flippin' positive. Um, and you know, okay, I know I said I wasn't going to talk politics, but <laughs> um, 
Um, I think Will will forgive me for this. But you know it has to piss Trump off. Because he threatened... Um, I don't remember if it was last week or the week before. He threatened to pull WHO funding because he feels that they misled us about China. You know, if you go and look at his tweets, he is the one who said that China was being very transparent and whatever. Because <sighs> he's a fucking liar and doesn't realize that people are on to him. Um, but, you know, this whole thing pissed Trump off because she was able to raise this money... Through businesses which Trump bailed out with his tax, um, his tax cuts last year, but they were also willing to open and just donate money to this organization that he is trying to shift the blame to now. And to me, that is the best political bitch slap in the world. <laughs> so brava, Lady Gaga. And I'm going to take a break, and I will be right back. And I'm back. So, we were, um, we haven't actually talked about this, but I've been hearing for a while that Julian Ho's marriage is not what it appears to be. She married Ben, uh, Ben, I'm sorry, Brooks Locke, uh, a while ago. And during that time... They were supposed to be over the moon in love and, you know, all that other sappy bullshit. Well, when it came time to self-quarantine, he went to Idaho with their dog and she stayed in L.A., which is already tough on a marriage. I mean, not being together is hard enough, but, you know, sometimes it happens and people work through it and find ways to spend time together. Well, Julianne didn't necessarily find ways to spend time with her husband. But she did find time to take a walk with British actor Ben Barnes. So they were seen walking together and, you know, this is all messy as it is. But I I just want to take a quick detour here and talk about her, um, how she avoided scandal. Um, in the Gabriel Union deep dive that I was doing, um, that I've been working on, I should say, um, a lot of people have looked at her, looked at Julian Hope, who was also fired, and wondered why she kowtowed. And, like, it was almost too easy, all... She, when they fired her, she just released a statement saying that it was a fabulous um, time of her life, but she was so busy with other projects, yada, yada, yada. Basically, the same thing that's going to happen with Megan McCain. <clears throat> so why, why did she do that? Well, she intended on working with NBC Universal again and didn't want to be part of a shitstorm. Here's where things get a little complicated, though. Gabrielle Union is also still an NBC Universal employee, uh, as she is her um, her Bad Boys show spinoff is actually a Spectrum original, meaning you have to have Spectrum in order to be able to watch it. So, what's the dealio? 
And that's what we're all trying to figure out. What does this have to do with her marriage? Well, some of Julianne's biggest fans, who are also sources that I've worked with um, on several stories, uh, not just um, not just for Junk Gossip, but other stories that I've been working on um, for various publications, have all jumped on her defense and said, hey, like he, Brooks knew that she was a super busy lady and... You know, this is this is not something that is brand new. Um, because the whole thing is, is Brooks apparently is very upset with her because he doesn't feel she ever makes time for him. And here's the thing. I, you kind of proved his point when he went to Idaho and he stayed in Los Angeles. Um, I am no fan of Julianne's um, by any stretch of the imagination. And I do get what they're saying. Like, he could have stayed in L.A. and isolated with her there. I don't know why he ran off to Idaho, um, but people um, people who have met both of them, including my source inside NBC, said that they had a very messy arrangement as it was, and that there's no way, if their marriage had any hope of lasting through this uh, crisis... Self-isolating together was not the way to make that happen. So what was the way to make it happen? Exactly what Brooks did. Take off and hope for the best. Now, of course, Julianne and her team are saying that she and Ben are just friends. But it looks bad that your husband's in Idaho self-isolating. And you are walking with another guy. Now, I I know there are some people out there who are saying, well, you know, there's every chance that Ben is gay, uh, and they're just friends. But if he is, and uh, at least one of my sources believes um, that he is and may actually, um, may actually only be a friend to Julianne, but still part of the Ho family. That's how I'm going to leave that for right now. <laughs> but it doesn't look good. You know, to the public, it looks like you're out with another guy. He's not out to the public. So for all intents and purposes, you're walking with another hetero dude. And posting weird Instagram stuff, um, including the latest where she's saying, never, never betray yourself to stay loyal to someone else. Yeah, I had to do that in my, <laughs> in my very, very bad Southern accent, just for the drama of it all, darlings. Just for the drama of it all. Um, <laughs> Will is going to have my head for this. <laughs> Anyways. Of course, we're going to continue to follow this story as it develops. Um, and if I can get any good information on it, any exclusives, we will, of course, bring it to you. Because that's what we do, darlings. <laughs> now I just can't stop. <laughs> All right, I'm going to take a break and I'll be right back. And I'm back. Uh, one of the projects that I'm going to work on, hopefully during quarantine, or if not during quarantine, immediately after, is um, Wendy Williams' Bad Year. 
because I am just so fascinated with um, what has led us to this point with her. Um, and, of course, I I keep saying year, but I think um, it's going to be changed to bad period or bad, bad era or something like that. Um, me and Mel will work it out. Um, Will, of course, is the editor for all of the Drunk Casa books. And he's also the, my personal editor for um, some projects. But let's move on to talk about something else completely. Um... So Wendy Williams returned to the air as many other talk shows are, or are starting to, or already have. And one of the first things she did was try to get into a fight with Nene Leakes from Real Housewives of Atlanta. Now, as you all know, I don't particularly care for reality shows, uh, and... When I watch them, it's only because the bestie is watching them and I'm in the vicinity. Uh, but when I know of Nene Leakes, and I know actually quite a bit because I actually like her. I think she's very talented. Um, and I think she's just brilliant. I th- think she's one of the smartest people around. Uh, well, at least one of the smartest people in that franchise. Um, but what I know is you don't mess with Nene. So Wendy returned to the air and took a shot at uh, Nini saying um, that Nini called her, said, hey, we're filming, I need you to say hi, and then expected, um, when she found out that Nini was filming, Wendy was like, no, I'm not doing this, probably you can't use this footage. Here's the thing, the Housewives of Atlanta were not filming, it was for an Instagram story. So, Wendy was just being a bitch and trying to start a feud to probably, in her mind, increase her ratings. Guess what? It didn't work. Nini took the high road and said that I am most certainly not getting involved in this. (laughs) She doesn't know what she's talking about and left well enough alone. And so Wendy, after Nini didn't take the bait, Wendy then turned her ire to the audience and said they didn't know. Um, apparently some people were complaining about the Black Betty boop in the background and said that they, her audience couldn't appreciate her. Bitch, let me tell you something. Insulting your audience is not the way to endear yourself. I get it. Maybe because she says she painted it and, you know, it was very. So I get that sometimes our projects become your babies. I get that. But what is also true is you're being a bitch. Okay. Uh, one of the people on her staff who doubles as my source. Um, there was a better way to word that. Um, anyways, my source that works with Wendy, who has not been called back to work as of yet. Uh, and no, that's not giving out clues. I know Will's going to say that, but no. Because um, she's working with two producers, and that's it. Um, there are hundreds and hundreds of people who work for her who have 
who are still off because she has not called him back and almost absolutely refuses to um to pay them but that's a whole other story actually it's not a whole other story uh, it, it, i could go into greater detail but we'll save that for later um especially since i'm waiting for a word from demar mercury uh, about why their staff is not being paid but um here's the thing People think that, oh, Wendy's just ballsy and, you know, this is how she got to where she is and she just speaks her mind and that's why the audience loves her. There are, there have actually been tests that that's not true. They do like it when she speaks her mind, but not when she insults the audience themselves. Uh, the source said she thinks what's happening here is more of a Wendy knows that next year is likely her last season and she plans on burning down the house. Uh, she's not pleased. And my source believes that she may have actually gotten word that her show is being, that next, next year is the last season. Uh, mostly because all of this trouble um, that has stemmed from the divorce and from her drug and alcohol usage has really taken a toll on the, not only the show's ratings um, and reputation, but on the staff. They don't know one day from the next how Wendy's going to be, and they're trying to figure out the best way to proceed. So they think that when Wendy... When he started attacking her audience, saying that they can't appreciate art and all that, it may have been because there was a there was supposed to be a conference call where they told her shape up or we'll cut the number of episodes you do next year. And <clears throat> these affiliates are are struggling right now too. Like. I know people are saying, well, there's this big surge of ratings and whatnot for almost every show. And that's true. But the affiliates don't always see the trickle down. You know, um, just because ABC New York is surging doesn't mean ABC Detroit is. Um, although some people are saying, well, it's all the same. It's not all the same. I promise you that. <laughs> But um, that's neither here nor there. We'll get into the business side of things later. But Wendy Williams, and I, and I know for a fact you listen because my source told me she's heard you listening. Apparently, Wendy Williams' favorite episode to listen to is the deep dive about herself. Um, so, Wendy Williams, please stop being such a bitch. And I'm actually using a much nicer word than what my source used about you. I'll be right back. And I'm back. So we haven't done a drunk writing segment in forever. So I wanted to talk a little bit about some writing. Um, and it, it kind of came to me... Because uh, I was, as I was trying to plan out this episode, I knew I wanted it to be a little bit longer than normal. Especially seeing as I took last week off. 
in some of the stories that I was planning on talking about, I was like, eh, no. And then the special, um, the special segment was going to revolve around my book, uh, Florida Man, True Crimes from the Sunshine State, which is available now in paperback and, um, ebook. But even that kind of, I was like, eh, frankly, I'm tired of talking about it. I've done all the advertising, all the promoting I want to. And then I was like, well, maybe I could do, I could talk about self-promotion, but I'm getting ready to do an article about that for better marketing on Medium. And I was like, I don't want to just keep hammering home the same points. So um, I started working on a new project. Um, It's a short story collection. I have another one. I have my first short story collection is coming out the... 31st of this month, or the 30th of this month, um, it's called Autumn Goodbye, and other short stories, um, and with Autumn Goodbye, this is a collection of short stories that I've written over the past few years, I finally, um, found the time and courage to curate them, and put them all into one big volume, there's also a couple of new stories in there, um, that, are not necessarily award winners, but I feel like they would be if I gave them enough time. Um, but um, okay, um, that all being said, I'm working on another a collection. This is all brand new stories that no one has ever read before. Uh, and right now it's tentative, tentatively titled Pop Culture Noir. And the whole thing about the about this book is every single story in it has been inspired by some form of pop culture. Gaslighter, which is with Will right now being edited, um, was inspired by the Dixie Chick song Gaslighter. <laughs> um, and... I'm working on one right now. It's untitled as of yet. But it, it was actually inspired by Tiger King. And I know people are rolling their eyes like, oh my god, I can't believe you. But if you strip away like all of the access and all of that, there's a really compelling story there. Um, and the story is not about how Joe Exotic gets Straitman to marry him um, because we all know it's Tiger's and Meth. That's how he does it. <laughs> and it's not about Carol Baskin and whether or not she killed her husband. We already know she did. But it's their rivalry. Even though they do the exact same thing, they're almost the exact same person. Um, and so what I wanted to do is dig down deep and figure out why they, you know, why they hate each other so much. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying that as I'm writing the story and I'm couching it and, you know, I'm, I'm taking inspiration from him being in jail for her murder. And so he believes, um, my character believes that, um, his rival, 
killed her husband and that whoever whoever put a hit out on on his rival was actually someone who would have stood to inherit a lot of money from Carol's husband who is now dead. And it, but it was fascinating to me. It is, I and I read this. Um, forgive me because I don't remember where I read it. But there, there's no good people in Tiger King. There, the transgender, uh, the trans transgender guy is the only decent person. Um, unfortunately, I don't remember his name. I don't remember a lot of their names to be honest. But, um. But even like like I said, I just wanted to strip everything away and I wanted to focus on on the relationship between the two and why they actually hate one another. And I'm hoping that that gives my story a little bit of a um interesting bent to it. And but it's really helping me to dig deeper into um the Carol Baskin and Joe Passage. I know he kept his his first husband's last name, but I, I'm not even gonna bother trying to pronounce it. Um, their dynamic, because honestly, that's what Tiger King should have done. Like I know, like all of the other hoopla is super duper interesting and super duper fun. You know, and I do get like, I I get why people are like, hey. You know, why would it why would straight dudes marry this guy? And I'm just gonna say this. Um and it, it, this is actually part of my story too. Um people keep harping on, you know, well his, um Joe Exotic's first husband, the one with the bad teeth, left him for a woman. That does not first of all um, I've not actually heard him identify as straight. And I don't know how you would couch that um, as anything other than the guy being bisexual. Um, and, you know, maybe somewhere down the line I can explore um, the relationship a little bit deeper, whether it's in a book or in, in an article or um, just a, another story altogether. But here's what I want to say about it. Sexuality is not black and white. It is not straight or gay. There is bi. There is pan. And whether you want to believe or not is immaterial because this is not up for debate. Uh, you know, and just because his first husband might be bi... And married a man doesn't mean he can't go and marry a woman. I'm sure there are many, many things involved um, in the in the relationship with Joe that brought them together. Um, and so, in my writing, that's what, I'm, like I said, that's what I'm trying to do um, in the stories. Um, and, and this is true. I'm, I'm going off my notes here a little bit, but I was asked the other day, because there's a new true crime book that I'm going to be working on, um, in the coming days, or coming weeks, I should say, and this one, um, this story, I'm not going to share it right now, really struck me, um, and I was talking about it, 
and it's, I mean, it's everything that you would expect from me, except for the queerness. Um, but there's, there's a love triangle. Um, there's money, a lot, a lot of money. Murder. But, in, you know, I'm intrigued by all of that. But what I'm really trying to get down to in my research is the relationship between the three people um, at the center of the story. I know a lot of people, you know, like to go off on tangents and look at things through the investigator's eyes and whatnot. And that's that's fascinating. But what I do, and this is why I'm taking the bent I am um, with the Tiger King story, what I'm trying to do is what is the relationship here? What is the relationship between, um, like I said, in the true crime, between the three people? What is the relationship um, between Carol Baskin and Joe Passage? And I feel like if you can get to the relationship between them and why their relationship is the way it is, then you can most certainly, you can most certainly free yourself up to look at um, what led to certain crimes. Like, if we can get, if we can dig down deep, we can get down to the real reason why he alleged, why Joe allegedly hired a hitman. We can get down into why Carol offed her husband, allegedly. Why these two people who are so similar would suddenly hate one another. You know what I mean? That's going to do it for me for today. Um, the next segment will be All Will. It's Paula Talk for this week. Thank you guys so much for listening, as always. I really do appreciate you. And I am going to um, give it up to Will. He will be right back. Hello, Drunk Gossip listeners. This is Producer Will coming at you from the suburbs of New York City within a couple miles of the original hotspot of Verona, which is keeping me and most of y'all, I imagine, locked up in houses with your families as it has been for the past month or so. Fortunately, despite my proximity to the center of the outbreak, I have managed to avoid infection, as is Ed. He's currently hanging out in Detroit, where things are getting awfully hot as well. So say a prayer for him, too, if you please. Obviously, the government's response to the coronavirus continued to be the major story throughout the past month. Specifically, some portions of the government's lack of response to it, and some other portions of the government's attempts to get around that. Now... Earlier this month, the government, specifically Congress, finally managed to unite and push through a coronavirus relief bill aimed at pushing through relief for small businesses and unemployed, people recently unemployed due to the coronavirus outbreak. Many of you, I imagine, will have already gotten your $1,200 checks from the government, which are eligible to most low-income workers in the country. However, there are a couple of glaring exceptions, namely college students, people on disability, etc., etc. 
This sort of leads into my next point, that the law has garnered quite a bit of controversy since it was pushed through. Namely, the big controversies are the law leaves out benefits for a lot of people who need them, people who don't have any other access to money right now. The law is only a one-time payment. While small businesses can continue to take out loans, most of these are going to payroll, but companies are lobbying to have to spend to lift the restrictions on spending money on their on paying their employees. And perhaps biggest and most important, under the law it is legal for banks and other lenders to garnish the relief checks if the person who's getting a relief check is in debt. Now, part of this is for child support, which I think we can all support, but part of this is also for mortgages, outstanding loans, which I think less of us can support. Democratic senators and a number of other concerned citizens have requested that the Treasury Department issue new guidance saying that banks and other lenders cannot update, cannot garnish the checks. However, the Treasury Department has, at the time of this recording, failed to issue that guidance. The other part of the big coronavirus response is President Trump's desperate attempt to make it seem like he was totally right all along and handling everything perfectly. He, the president managed to enjoy a early bump in the polls during March, despite coming out at the beginning of major social distancing measures and saying, I don't take responsibility at all in one of the worst press conferences I've ever seen. And basically launched into a long string of using the White House daily press briefings as propaganda outlets, as reported on by CNN. However, as he has begun to dip in the polls, President Trump has sought to find scapegoats for his failure to act. First, China, who admittedly, China does bear some responsibility for attempting to cover up, hush up the spread of the virus initially, and downplaying the number of cases that it suffered as it recently revealed that the death toll is 50% higher in Wuhan than its initial estimates. However, this doesn't excuse Trump's lack of action, and he has even less of an excuse for his next scapegoat, the World Health Organization. Earlier this week, Trump announced his plans to defund the organization and has immediately frozen all U.S. support of the multinational multinational health organization claiming that it bought too heavily into China's rhetoric and obscured the extent at which the virus could spread, notably not saying it was transmissible airborne by air. Trump announced that the funding would be frozen until an investigation into the WHO could be completed. For its part, the World Health Organization released a statement saying that it had first made issued its major alert to the world about the coronavirus on January 7th and issued a warning that the coronavirus could spread by air on the 12th. I have double-checked it. This does line up. This is when they release their official press briefings on the subject of the coronavirus, and it is almost two months before Donald Trump and his administration made any kind of concerted response. Now, as the coronavirus has dragged on, the economy has slumped pretty hard, even despite the relief measures. As 
This has proven to be extremely unpopular with the business community, and as a result, Trump and his administration are looking at ways to open up the economy, including recently Trump tried to, tried to com- convene a large panel of major business leaders and doctors in the country in an attempt to devise guidelines for reopening the economy. However, this fell apart when it re- was revealed that he didn't ask any of the people that he had na- that he had named to be on the panel whether they had wanted to be on it or not. Most people now view this as an effort to cover his ass and spread the blame around in case social distancing measures are lifted and the death toll skyrockets, which it might. Currently, the plan, uh, the administration's plan, seems to be to attempt to sway the public into pushing for the end of social distancing measures. Fox News brought uh, Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz, neither of whom are medical professionals, on their show to attempt to discredit social distancing measures. Dr. Phil notably said, Plenty of people die from cancer and car crashes every year, but we don't shut the economy down for them like we've done for the car cr- for the coronavirus. Astute listeners will no doubt realize that those two things are not contagious, unlike the Rona, which is highly contagious. Now, in recent days, it appears there appeared to have been an upsurge in popular support for ending coronavirus, ending social distancing, with protests across the country in California, Kentucky, Minnesota, and Pennsylvania, a number of states with Democratic governors specifically, calling for the end of coronavirus, the end of coronavirus social distancing measures and restrictions. However, very recently, a new story regarding these protesters came up after a couple of after a couple of said protesters were caught on camera cheering when the Kentucky when the governor of Kentucky said we can't open lift social distancing measures people will die a couple of internet sleuths took it upon themselves to look into the origins of several of these protest groups and discovered that a number of them, specifically the Minnesotans against extreme so against oppressive social distancing and Pennsylvanians against oppressive social distancing measures, had been had had websites founded on the same day within hours of each other by an individual in Florida. Further um, investigations have suggested that lo- most, if not all, of these protest groups are fronts coordinated by I uh, don't want to stereotype here but far right people trying to astroturf this evidence has not dissuaded Trump from attempting to turn this into a national phenomenon he's tweeted out liberate Pennsylvania liberate Minnesota liberate these states in what many see as uh, an attempt to capitalize on what is what seemed at first like a show of grassroots support. No word yet on whether the allegations of astroturfing will change his political calculus. Anyway, that's it for tonight. It's time for me to go back to the bottle because, as I'm sure you are all aware, 
being cooped up 24-7, even with people you like, tends to get on your nerves after a while. Thank you very much. This has been Politalk. I will see you all hopefully next week. Until then, cheers.